Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 29. Michael Millett is coming to read uh, God's word for us. Let me invite you to stand as we um, hear God's word. Listen as I read. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of, the, of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, this week we are kickstarting that new sermon series that Dave mentioned, our Psalm of, Psalms of the People series, where we're going to be preaching on psalms that uh, you suggest to us, some of our favorite ones, some of the ones that have meant something to us at moments in our lives, or maybe they've challenged us, and we need some answers to the questions that these psalms bring out. And today's psalm is a special one for me, personally. It, it opened my eyes to a new way of relating to God. And because this one's special, the reason why this one is special is because my son Max actually taught me its true meaning. Right now he's two, but when he was two months old, he went through a really fussy phase for several weeks where for hours in the evening, every evening, he would cry and cry and scream and scream, and there was nothing that we could ever do to calm him down. He would twist his face and he would arch his back as if he was in extreme pain. And I know a lot of you parents, you, you know how difficult that phase can be, um, how helpless you can feel during that. But the worst part of it for me was um, that Max stopped letting me hold him. Uh, you know, I, I never really thought of myself as a nurturer at heart, but when Max was born, something kind of awoke in me I wanted to be this type of dad who played with his son, who snuggled with his son, and, uh, and he wouldn't let me, not anymore. Every time I picked him up, he would, he would scream and look for his mother. And that feeling was, was really crushing for me, and so was the noise that he made. Uh, I, I struggle with waves of anxiety from time to time, and, and one of the main triggers for me is just loud, chaotic noises. It just flips a switch in me, and I don't know what to do. And, and, and Max, as you can imagine, was an expert in loud, chaotic noises. And one day, my wife, Julie, uh, she said that she was going to leave for an hour to run some errands. Um, now, for those two months, she had barely left the house. She had never been apart from Max. Um, and uh, she asked me to be home alone with this screaming child. I wanted to help, but I was terrified, 
right? As you can imagine, I didn't know how Max and I were going to survive even an hour together. But, but Julie promised me, it, she's going to be back soon. It's going to be okay. And she'll even put Max down for a nap before she leaves. And he'll probably stay asleep the whole time she's gone. The moment Julie pulled out of the driveway, Max woke up. Now, I didn't call her. I, I tried to calm my nerves. I, I went to Max's room, and he was crying, and he was screaming, and he tried squirming out of my arms, but I changed the diaper. Yes, success. I looked at my watch. 55 more minutes, crap. All right. Um, I brought out every toy. I walked him from room to room, hoping that something would catch his eye and calm him down, but nothing worked. He's still screaming in my arms. I look at my watch again. 51 minutes. Oh, dang it. What is, how are we going to do this? Now, at this point, I could feel my pulse racing. I could feel my anxiety rising, and I knew that I wasn't going to last much longer doing this, and I needed a breath of fresh air, and I think Max needed it, and my worried-looking dog definitely needed it. So we all went outside, and, and you know what happened? The crying stopped instantly. Max's attention was fixed on this giant black cherry tree about 60, 70 feet high that stands right in the middle of our yard. And its leaves had just bloomed for the spring, and they were just gently dancing in the breeze. And I looked into my son's eyes and I saw something in them that I'd never seen him express before. It was awe, it was wonder, it was infinite curiosity. And you know, as I think back on that moment, I, I, I can say that that was the day that Max became enchanted with whom or what he became enchanted with, he didn't know yet. Uh, but something in his soul was awakened to a reality bigger than the physical limits of his nursery crib. It was this love-filled longing to, to know the world that he had been born into, to know uh, who or what gave birth to it all. And Julie would later tell me that if Max could put a word to what he was seeing, he would call the world outside his crib the ever-moving now, we were made for enchantment. We, we were made to be enchanted with the world around us. It's part of who we are as human beings. We, we chase sunsets to the lake shore and sit there until the sun sinks into the water's edge. We, we lay underneath the stars at night and play connect the dots and imagine fantastical stories in the sky. We would even risk our lives climbing mountains with knife-edge peaks just to get the view. Or like King David in this psalm, we would look out our window as the storm rolls in, waiting for the thunder to shake us, waiting for the lightning to crack the sky. See, this is how David sees his world. Behind every natural wonder, there is a divine creator to be seen, to be heard, to be known. His world, it's just full of enchantment. It transcends the limits of, of the physical and sends us deeper into a spiritual experience and reality. We were made for enchantment, made to see both the extraordinary events of life, but also the everyday, ordinary events, like a storm 
or the breeze moving a tree. We were made to see that with eyes full of wonder and amazement. Uh, but, but I don't think I have to argue this next point too strongly. Uh, I think most of us, that, that sounds like some fantastical, idealistic, fairy tale way of living. Uh, sure, we might have one or two moving spiritual experiences sometime in our lives, but, but those moments are rare for us, right? The bulk of our lives, it feels so disconnected from what we profess to believe. We look around, we, we struggle to see God in the world around us, if we're being honest. We, we grow cynical, we grow jaded. We, for a lot of us, once this hour on Sunday morning is over, we put our hearts back into a box and set them aside until next week when we pull them back out again and do it, again, do it all over again. And so let me ask you this. When did we settle for the disenchanted life? When did we settle for the disenchanted life? To be disenchanted, it means to become disappointed or disillusioned with something that once made us feel happy or fulfilled. And I think a lot of us can feel that way right now. I know for me personally, this last year has been really tough. It's made me rather disenchanted. There were times where I felt imprisoned in my house because of COVID and lockdowns. There were times where my heart grew cynical because of the news stories that I was seeing on the TV. Uh, I had all the time in the world, but no time for prayer, no time for reading the Bible. It, my heart just grew apathetic. I didn't have the energy to care about it or, or really anything at all. And so now, as we're kind of like reintegrating into society, <laughs> reintegrating into our social lives, um, we find ourselves asking whether or not we, we really want to. Do we really want to start caring again? Do we really want to start feeling again? I, I was reading just last week in, in The Atlantic uh, an opinion piece by a guy named Tim Kreider who, who writes this. I'm not scared to re-enter society. I'm just not sure I want to. I've gotten acclimated to a different existence. I'm just not sure I want to. I think if we're being honest, a lot of us could agree with those words right now. We've acclimated to a new way of living. And most of the ways that we've been changed recently haven't been for the better. Now, to be fair, our, our temptation uh, to settle for the disenchanted life, it's not something new. The year 2020 didn't create this. It, it maybe just accelerated it. We've always been prone to be cynical and apathetic. We've always felt tempted to settle for the disenchanted life, where there's no magic, where there's no mystery. But, but I think deep down, we know, deep in our souls, we know we were made for more. We, we know we were made for something better. We need to be given eyes to see the ever-moving God and his ever-moving creation again. Now, King David, the author of the psalm, he knows our struggles too. We often hold him up as like some unattainable model of faith, and, and for good reason, but he, he struggled just as much, probably more, than most of us. 
His life was full of trouble and tragedy. He brought a lot of that upon himself. And the same David who wrote this psalm, Psalm 29, he also wrote Psalm 13, which says this, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Will it be forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? See, there were moments when the same David was tempted to go numb, when he was tempted to shut down, to acclimate to a new existence where he didn't have to go through the emotion of looking for God in the world anymore. But something woke David up out of that disenchantment, didn't it? How does he get from that Psalm 13 to something like Psalm 29? And it's a thunderstorm. Of all the things, it's a thunderstorm. David, you know, he was most likely watching this thunderstorm from from his palace in the city of Jerusalem. And his palace was positioned near the highest point in the city, on the side of a mountain. And, and, And there were these two deep, big valleys on either side of the city walls. And so wherever David looked, he had an amazing view, the best view in the room. He could see in every direction. And it was really the perfect spot for watching a thunderstorm roll in through the valley and up his mountain. The boom of thunder, the flash of lightning, the shake of the earth, the flood of rain. He, he just can't take his eyes off it. But for David, it's, it's who is in the storm that really, really wows him. There's this guy named Douglas McKelvey who, who wrote a prayer book called Every Moment Holy, and he puts it this way, that in every storm, in every storm there is a sermon playing out in parable across the canvas of the sky, telling of the awesome power of one whose judgments are just but whose mercies are all the more scandalous and unexpected, and whose tender love for us is beyond comprehension. You see, David, he sees the sermon in the storm. He sees the parable in the sky. He's looking for the creator who's living and moving in his creation. Theologians, they call this sort of experience natural revelation or general revelation. It's, it's the discipline of, of learning about who God is by looking at the natural world around us. It's, it's a discipline, really, that we find all over Scripture, too. We read this earlier, Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Now they have no speech and they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made so that no one is without excuse. Now, I like the way that this songwriter, Ryan O'Neill, of Sleeping at Last, puts it. Our once barren world now brims with life that we may fall in love every time we open our eyes. Our world now brims with life that we may fall in love every time we open our eyes. Creation reveals that there is something more to this life than what just meets the eye. Whether we're stargazing or hiking or fishing on the lake or watching a thunderstorm pass by, all creation is is giving us this longing to meet, to know the divine creator behind it all. You see, God, he's given us more than just a mind 
to know him by. He has created us in such a way that we long to touch, we long to hear, to see, to taste that the Lord is good. But I need to just stress an important point here. Um, natural revelation, general revelation, looking for the answers in nature, it's, it's not enough. Admiration for nature will only get you so far. And, and so even if it speaks to you in a special way as it does for me, it cannot give you all of the answers that you most desperately need. Those sort of answers can only be found in what we call special revelation, which is the knowledge, which is the story of who God is and what he's done for our salvation as it is in his word in scripture. You see, the reason why David can look at the world with such enchantment is not just because he admires creation. No, it's because he knows the story behind it all. He knows scripture deeply, and because he does, he's able to find the answers to his longings and his curiosities. When David watches the thunderstorm roll by through his valley, he asks, who is behind this? And scripture replies, the Lord is behind this. You know, we long, we long to see the world with enchanted eyes like David. He sees the world through scripture's eyes. That's where we need to do, that's what we need to do too. The word of God is David's glasses. It's the lenses by which he can see the world clearly. Seeing the world through scripture's eyes, it helps him see that the voice of the Lord, it's everywhere. It's, it's in everything. It's causing everything. It's sustaining everything. It's protecting everything. You know, I, I like to imagine that if David were with my son that day, standing underneath that tree, watching the leaves blow in the wind, he would tell Max about the Spirit of God, breathing life into everything, the Spirit of God blowing like a wind wherever he pleases. Or when Max looks at all the gophers digging all those dang holes in my yard, David would quote the book of Job and tell how God cares and provides for every creeping animal that creeps along the ground, everything from the behemoth to that stinking gopher, giving it shelter and food and offspring. When Max wonders about the stars in the night sky, David would tell him about how the voice of the Lord needed only to whisper, let there be, and immediately the stars were cast throughout the infinite universe. You know, preachers will often talk about um, how in order to be relevant in our preaching, we need to uh, hold the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And I just want to play with that idea for a second. I think what David's telling us here in Psalm 29 is that we need to look at the world with a Bible in one hand and a walking stick in the other. A Bible in one hand and a pair of binoculars in the other, or a beach chair, or a hammock, or in the case of Psalm 29, maybe a, a rain poncho. We need the stories of scripture and the knowledge of God that can only come from his word, but we then need to carry those words in our memory and walk outside and experience his truth on display in the ever-moving world that we live in. We need the vision of God to see him. We need to feel God, even to fear God as we look at all that he has made. And let me tell you, there's certainly fear in this psalm 
isn't there? How could you not be afraid? Just, just look at this. The voice of the Lord, it's breaking and splitting cedar trees in half. The voice of the Lord makes Sirion, which is another name for Mount Hermon. The, the voice of the Lord makes a mountain skip like a frightened ox. His voice makes lightning bolts flash. His voice shakes the ground like an earthquake. Have you ever been in a storm like that? It's scary, isn't it? It's scary. Fear is the natural reaction. It's the only appropriate reaction. But the type of fear of David is maybe a little different. One theologian describes this type of fear this way. He, he says that David's fear of the Lord is one that does not flee for the exit door, but rather this fear trembles at the threshold of approach to the Lord. It's not one that flees for the exit, but as David approaches God, he trembles in awe and wonder. Let me explain what that's like. Um, every summer, uh, we take a trip out to central Iowa where my wife's family lives. And, and out in that part of the country, they get some really, really big thunderstorms. And if you have lived in Michigan all your life and you think you've seen a big thunderstorm, you have not. Go to Iowa, go to Nebraska, Kansas, Texas. These, these things are crazy. Um, now, a few years ago, we were staying out in their family farm, which, like David's palace, actually sits on a high point in the area. You can see all around you. Um, and a storm started rolling in up the hill toward the house, and it looked pretty ugly. The skies were changing colors. It had those, like, wave clouds, you know? That, yeah, they looked scary. And, and I even wondered if we should head to the basement in this moment. Because, you know, I've seen those Weather Channel documentaries and, like, tornado. Let's, let's get down there. Um, but to my surprise, as I wanted to head to the basement, where was Julie and her family? They were running out the front door. They, they, they walked out the front door, and they were just standing out in the lawn to watch this storm. And where was I during this whole moment? Inside eyes glued to the weather channel, standing at the window trying to wave for their attention to get in the house, right? I was afraid. I was terrified. I had that type of fear. I felt like we were going to be victims of this storm's wrath. But Julie's family, they knew what I didn't know. This particular storm was not a threat. They had seen dozens, maybe hundreds of storms like this before. They knew when to run into the basement. But they also knew when, to, when it was safe to get out the lawn chairs and just watch. And their knowledge, their familiarity with these storms, they opened up an entirely new way of relating to it. And so were they afraid? Yeah. But in a different way. The, the kind of fear that you experience on a roller coaster Right? The type of fear that uh, makes your heart skip a beat. It's the type of fear that thrills you, that excites you, that makes you tremble when that rolling thunder shakes you to the core. You see, the, the type of fear that we have toward things like a thunderstorm or God, that type of fear depends on whether we know we're standing on safe ground. David David knows he's on safe ground. But you notice his feelings of his, of his safety, they're not based on how strong his palace 
walls are. No, David takes comfort in knowing who is in the storm. When he looks at the storm, he knows the voice that controls it. You know, David once read about this voice in Genesis 1, where the same voice of the Lord commanded the waters to retreat and be held in their place, and it only took a word, let it be, and it was so. And so as David watches this thunderstorm, he remembers that in the same way that the king of creation, who once brought order to the chaos of the waters, surely that same God now sits enthroned over the waters of this storm today. Or David might remember the way that the Lord promised Noah that he would never again flood the earth. Or, or he might remember the way that the Lord freed Israel from slavery and, and brought them to safety by parting the Red Sea so that they could walk across dry ground. David might remember the way that the Lord provided rain after a drought. You see, Psalm 29 is not simply a nice poem about a thunderstorm. It is packed full of memory of who the Lord is and all the mighty ways that he's acted throughout history. David's sense of awe, his sense of wonder, comes from his admiration of creation. Yes, but even more so, it comes from the knowledge of the ever-moving creator in his creation. But even this, even this fantastic experience, this awe-inspiring experience, even this makes us long for more. You know, for David, God had a name. God had a story, and he saw him everywhere that he looked. But there was still something missing. You can hear the longing in David's voice as he writes psalm after psalm after psalm, as we'll see in the coming weeks. David knows God is there. He sees evidence for God everywhere he looks, but he does not see him fully. David longs to see him face to face. And so even in this psalm, we're left with a longing for more, hoping for more to be revealed, a new revelation. And then something amazing happened about a thousand years after David wrote this psalm. Some men were on a fishing boat in the sea when they were hit by a surprise storm. Now these guys were experienced fishermen. They had seen many storms before, but this storm must have been something, something big, something extreme, because they were terrified. They thought the boat, boat was going to break apart. They thought they were all going to die. But then one of the men in the boat stood up, looked out at the storm and the waves, and said, peace, be still. And in that very instant, the skies cleared, the waves calmed, and in that moment, the fear of the other men in the boat changed into the type of fear that trembles now because they know that they're in miraculous safety. It's the type of trembling of awe and wonder and curiosity. And they ask themselves, who was this Jesus that even the wind and the waves would obey his voice? You know, had David been in the boat that day, he would have known the answer to their question. He knew that voice. He knew who that voice belonged to. He would have recognized this king enthroned over the waters. All creation still obeys his voice as it did on day one. Now when the people 
that this Jesus came to save turned against him and put him to death. There was a storm on that day too. As Jesus hung there dying on the cross, the afternoon sun went completely dark, cut off by thick clouds, thunder and lightning filled the sky and the earth shook and the rocks split open. Does it sound familiar? But there was more to this storm than what meets the eye too. The darkness of the sky was merely a reflection of what darkness was taking place on the cross where Jesus hung in that moment. Because in that moment, there was a storm raging against the sin of all mankind. Jesus, the Son of God, he was substituting himself to take the judgment and wrath of God the Father in our place. And though God had every right to crush us for how we have all turned against him, this God crushed himself. This God shielded us from the storm of his wrath that we deserved. The God of glory thundered against his own son. The voice of the Lord broke his own son on a cedar tree of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord flashed his wrath down. The voice of the Lord with his dying breath declared victory over sin with a word. It is finished. And yet three days later, this same Lord rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. And now, just as David envisioned, now this Savior sits enthroned not only over a storm or a flood, but over sin and death, giving strength and peace to all who believe. You know, had David, had David bid there on that dark afternoon at the foot of the cross, he would have ascribed to the Lord the glory due his name. He would have echoed the words of that Roman centurion who stood there. Truly, this was the Son of God. Because friends, here is the answer to all of our longings, all of our curiosities, all of our wonder. Here is the object of our awe and amazement. It's when we stand face to face with our Savior Jesus. When we stand face to face with our Savior Jesus, our world comes to life again. It gets enchanted. You know, the only sensible response to this gospel is fear, but it's the type of fear that knows that when we stand on, that we stand on safe ground underneath the refuge of Jesus' sacrifice. We stand on safe ground. It's the fear that brings us to our knees in reverence and awe of such a love that would willingly die for us. Friends, when did we settle for the disenchanted life? There is a better way because in Jesus, we have been given lenses to see the world clearly again. In every breeze that blows the leaves, we feel the breath of God giving life again. In every sunrise, we are reminded that a sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. In every storm, we are reminded that the wrath of God will not crush us. And in every spring bloom, we are retold the promise that new life is on its way.
Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. In every storm, there is a sermon playing out in parable across the canvas of the sky, telling the awesome power of one whose judgments are just, but whose mercies are all the more scandalous and unexpected, and whose tender love for us is beyond comprehension. So Jesus, may these mighty winds, these lightning strikes, these crashing calls of thunder, these hard rains, by their fierce, by their fierce beauty, set us in awe, reminding us of the just verdict that we will never have to face, reminding us of the one whose love has now become our shield against the storm. And so Jesus Christ, our peace, cradle us now, even as you will cradle us at the final reckoning, calming every fear by your nearness, as we will watch with wondering eyes this storm-told story of great judgment and yet an even greater mercy. Amen.